Before we get started, this episode of the Food Grower Podcast is sponsored by Natural Grower. Natural Grower's award-winning liquid fertilizer, plant feed, and soil conditioner is made entirely from maize. It's naturally rich in nitrogen, potash, phosphate, and other trace elements that plants and vegetables love. And it's approved by the Soil Association, Vegan Society, and Biodynamic Association. The concentrated natural fertilizer can be poured around the base of plants, whilst the plant feed and soil conditioner can be mixed into the soil or used as a mulch on the surface as a long-term, slow-release fertilizer on all outdoor and indoor plants. Both Jack and I have been using the natural grower products this year and have seen amazing results, and we have a fantastic 15% off the entire natural grower range for you. Simply go to naturalgrower.co.uk and enter foodgrower15 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by Direct Plants Limited, and specifically their amazing range of polytunnels. We use these strong and affordable tunnels on both Jack's Patch and Fanfield Farm, and we love them. Direct Plants manufacture the tunnels themselves so that you can buy your polytunnel direct from the manufacturer, and not just any manufacturer, but from growers too, so that they really understand what you need. These traditional high-quality polytunnels are available in a range of sizes to fit your growing needs, and they're manufactured here in the UK in Norfolk. We're delighted to bring you a brilliant 10% off the entire range at directplants.co.uk. Simply head over there and use the code FOODGROWER at checkout. That's FOODGROWER, all one word, no spaces, at directplants.co.uk. Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers. We hope that this podcast will inspire you to either start growing your own food or to help develop your existing food growing empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch. And I'm Andy from Urban Herbs. Today on the Food Grower Podcast, I am joined by Rob of Rob's Allotment. And I know that this is an Instagram account that many, many of you follow. I know that I do. I love the content Rob puts out. So I'm really, really excited to get Rob on the podcast and have this chat. Rob, how's it going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. It's kind of We're recording this in sort of the end of October and everything's slowing down nicely. Um, I'm getting wetter. <laughs> it, it's definitely getting wetter. This is the time of year when you find out that your your shoes aren't completely waterproof, I find. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How's your season been? It's been all right. It's been, some things have been a bit more, should we say, challenging than others. Um, it might be raining now, but I think up here in Yorkshire, we've still got the hosepipe ban on. So um, we don't need it, but we could, have, um, we could have done with a bit more water earlier in the year, which has caused a few issues, but touch wood, being able to get around it. It's, um, it inspired me to get a, um, a dripper system in the big greenhouse because I've had it for like five years and I've always watered by hand. Mm. And it's just got so hot every day I was going in, even if it was six in the morning, coming back out and I was absolutely dripping. There's more water coming off me than there was from the watering can. So um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet and buy one, fitted it, and it's the best thing I've ever had. It's brilliant. Really? So you, you would say that's a benefit? That's something you'd recommend? Absolutely. 100%, yeah. Because I was spending, like, in the garden, I'd spend probably an hour and a half actually outside in the garden watering every day. Yep. Um, and then in the greenhouse, and you try and do it as quick as you can because you were, you were baking. No matter what time of day or night it was, it was absolutely boiling. Um, and it was just uncomfortable, and it was taking forever. And I thought, well, do you know what? You can use with the hosepipe, and you can still use dripper systems. Um, so I thought, right, let's have a go. Bought all the bits, bought the, the timer and everything, 
um, and fitted it. And it, it was amazing. It literally set it for five, I think it was five minutes twice a day because I grow in big pots in the greenhouse. It's perfect in the morning and at night, done. And I must admit, I was a bit sceptical and checking it myself, you know, going up every time I knew it was going to go on. Has it yeah. turned on or are my plants going to be dead in the morning? Yeah. And it, yeah, it's worked a treat. I think this year it's changed the way that we all look at things really, hasn't it? And I, yeah. I, I suppose in a way it has been the last couple of years, last few years that we've had these kind of like periods of hot weather, but this year was something different, wasn't it? I think it was just too um, too intense on some stuff. Some things actually died off. Um, like I have, what did I have? Like broad beans, uh, not broad beans, runner beans. Just about aborted nearly every single flower. Runner beans have been rubbish for me this year just because it's been so hot. Um, and even when you've been watering in the, in the height of the summer, it's just been going straight through. It's not been soaking in. Um, so some stuff, I, th- I guess it, um, what, it makes us think about what we do grow. Um, and what we can grow now. So my, my tomatoes outside have been the best I've ever had. But mm. that, that's because it's been a really good year. We've had no blight. We've not had that wet that we normally have. Um, and they've been absolutely amazing. Whereas, like I say, the runner beans have been abysmal. And I think that's, again, something that comes across time and time again on this podcast, you know, because a lot of our listeners are doing this, you know, on a market gardening kind of basis. So, like, I suppose the question is, at what point do we, start to almost change what we grow yeah permanently kind of to meet these sort of more extreme conditions that seem to be becoming more regular yeah it's, uh, i guess it's it's changing what you grow but also when you grow it so if it's warming up sooner in the season why not sow it a bit earlier um so it's things like the lettuce i, I, I started sowing lettuce in january um, in the greenhouse and it was perfect really good then you got to the summer even the stuff that was in the shade it was just bolting it wasn't even hot enough but it's just too hot so bringing it forwards a couple of months you still get the crop but then in the summer i was growing um there are certain types of cabbage now that you can get Mm. that you can use as a lettuce substitute because they're really thin very very thin leaved and really crunchy so they use it for coleslaw or you, you have it shredded in salads and i was using that instead of instead of lettuce in the summer so oh. that, that wasn't bolting, whereas the, the lettuce were. Do you do chilies? Are you into yes. your chilies? Yes, I like chilies. Because, I mean, we found that it's not a business thing. It's just a personal thing for me that I love growing, you know, like the super hot. Yeah. And we've never had crops like it on things like the Reaper and the Nagas. Yeah. Because um, I mean, they it, take normally, they're so slow to ripen, aren't they? Um, and, and we've been getting them a lot earlier than we, we, we normally would have, but a lot more of them as well. Yeah, and I just think it's quite intriguing, and I think so many people, um, Jack said on the podcast a few weeks ago, that actually, you know, I wonder to what extent we're all going to change what we do, and then it's sod's law, isn't it, that next year is going to be a, a cold, wet summer. Oh, yeah, well, I blight straight away. You won't even get, like, one ripe fruit off any tomatoes outside, and there'll be mildew everywhere, and... You know what it's like. It's there's never a, never the same year twice ever. Yeah, and we'll we'll have all adapted our growing to uh, warm weather crops as well. <laughs> exactly, Rob. One of the things that we always ask guests on this podcast is, you know, wh- where did it start for you? Where did your sort of um, food growing journey? Where did it start? Uh, mine's a bit of a, a cliche, really. Mine's uh, with my granddad. 
So when I was when I was a little kid, my mum and dad used to work quite a lot. So we used to go to my granddad's after school and like uh, for a weekend and stuff like that. And he used to have a great big old council house with a huge back garden. And most of it had been turned over to an allotment. You know what that generation was like. They, they used to do it during the war. So they just carried on. Um, so I used to go and help him. Um, just basically grow anything. He used to grow absolutely everything himself. All in the he used to have a big brick built outhouse like building and paper bags full of seeds everywhere. And I just found it amazing that this paper bag with to me as a kid, it was like a bag full of little stones uh, you could put in the soil and then suddenly there'd be a cabbage or it'd be a radish or it'd be a carrot or or whatever. I found it absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny, isn't it? Do you, if you don't, if you don't mind me asking, it's something that again, it's something that repeats. You know, that yeah. Do you think that possibly growing and sort of the current sort of real enthusiasm for growing that you know you have that I have, and do you think it's almost skipped a generation that you had that kind of older generation who grew stuff? You know, that almost like dig for victory kind of thing. I think uh, like my mom's always been into a gardening, but they. Obviously, they bought a new house uh, when they like they, they bought a house. Then they had me and my sister, and it only had a small back garden. It was 1970s new build, and it had a tiny back garden. It didn't have the space, um, so she used to get the stuff from her granddad, the fresh veg and everything. Um, and she'd grow a few pot plants, a few plants in the front garden, and it was never sort of like fruit, uh, fruit and veg gardening because it wasn't the space. Um, so if you don't have that, if I'd not had my granddad, I don't know if I'd have got into it as much as I did because I wouldn't be exposed to it. So families move around as well. So you're not necessarily, you might be with your parents, but you might not be near your grandparents anymore. So they're not looking after you when you're at school. You're either at kids club or, or, or whatever, or something like that, or a nursery. So again, you're not exposed to it. So by not being exposed to it, you don't know it, you don't get to love it, and you don't necessarily fall into it. I suppose as well that, maybe there's an aspect that it's almost like something that's quite unfamiliar because I know that we have like a lot of like younger listeners as well that almost um, they describe how they discovered growing things as almost being quite counterculture. Yeah. That it's almost like an act of rebellion that it's like, well, hang on a minute. What? I don't have to give money to the supermarket. Yeah. And you can grow like for a couple of quid, you can get a seed packet that will keep you in, I don't know, lettuce all year round. Whereas you go to the supermarket, you buy a bag and it costs you £2.50. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, I, I think as well, there's also the misnomer um, about growing and horticulture and the fact that I can't stand it when gardeners, be it on TV, in a magazine, in a newspaper, it's almost like controlling the power by throwing loads of Latin names out there and they're going this, that and the other and you've got to do this and it's herbaceous, it's perennial, it's this, it's that, it's the other. That's fine if you know what you're talking about. But if you don't, it puts people off straight away because how many people have asked you when you say evergreen and I don't know, it's a, it's a red robin. They go, well, it's not evergreen because it's red. Evergreen, they think, means it's green all the time. It's not red. Do you know what I mean? So they don't know what deciduous means or herbaceous or anything like that, which is easy to explain and I think should be explained more. You're not dumbing it down. You're getting people into it and you don't want all the gardeners and everyone who's interested in gardening to be aging and no one being behind us there should be people snapping at our heels carrying carrying on keeping it going and it's just that i don't know sometimes it's it's almost to me it seems like it's a bit of a power trip 
mm. throwing all this out there because I'm I know better than you and I know the name for this and I know another name for that and all the rest of it and you think well, it's just a cabbage. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's just a mint. Yeah. So I think sometimes we don't help ourselves or certain people don't help ourselves. Absolutely. And you, you, Rob, I should say you're speaking literally my language here. I'm tuned <laughs> into you on AM here because I do think that to a certain extent, you know, I've just said to you that it is quite counterculture. It seems quite counterculture sometimes growing things. Yeah. But there is also, I suppose, as you say, like a little bit of a system of control. Yeah. That the idea that you have to have qualifications. Yeah. You have to do a course, which, you know, brackets, plot spoiler, costs money. Yeah. And you have to give up time off work to do that. And not everybody can do that, to be brutally honest with you. No. Um, and that's, again, something that repeats itself time and time again. And one of the reasons why we were so keen to get you on this podcast is because your account really does kind of communicate what you've just said. You know, it makes growing accessible. You break things down into a very, not just accessible way, but it's inspiring. So it's it's that combination of kind of information plus inspiration. Yeah. Kind of makes you want to grab a spade and have a go. But that's the thing. It is have a go. It's like you said about you've got people say you've got to do this course, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Yeah, fine. That's one way of doing it. But also that course teaches you one way of gardening or one way of doing something. There's not one set way. It could depend. I could be in Glasgow or I could be in Devon. It's going to be a different scenario. It's going to be different weather, different climates, different microclimates, soil, everything. And what works for one might not necessarily work for another. And how many times have we done stuff in the garden, you, me, friends, anyone, that you think, oh, well, we'll give it a go. It's, do you know what I mean? It's not going to hurt. It might be the fact that you're sowing lettuce in a, in a cold greenhouse in December. But you know what? It works. It's worked for me. Um and the back of the seed packet doesn't tell you to do it then. So, and people say, oh, you can't do that. And it's like, well, why not? There's nothing else growing there. I might as well, it's a pack of seeds that cost me $1.99. Let's have a go. If it does work, I've got lettuce all winter. So it's, I think sometimes we're told what to do and told different things. And too many people take it at face value of that's the only way you can do it. And if you don't do it like that, you're wrong. Um, but it's all experimenting and experience, isn't it, when it comes to gardening? What works best for you and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, here at the um, Food Grower Academy, um, we've actually launched like a skill sharing platform. Yeah. Where a big aspect of that is like a Discord group, a community group where people can, you know, kind of do exactly what you've just said. So um, come into the group and sort of say, like, I'm growing in Glasgow, I'm growing in the Outer Hebrides. Yeah. And what's come out of this sort of process that's really interesting is that um, Chris and Jack, who we I work with here, they have got very different growing perspectives, the two of them. Mm -hmm. And very often the two of them will actually give completely conflicting answers to somebody's question. Yeah. But, but both of them are equally valid in their experience. And it works where they are or how they grow. Exactly. And I think one of the things, as I say, that really comes across in your account is that it breaks stuff down into like, it sounds really rude or offensive to say like manageable chunks. Yeah. But it really does demystify it. 
Yeah, just should be- be, it shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't be hard. At the essence of gardening, it's putting a seed into the soil and watching it grow. That's it. That yeah. that is that is as simple as as it gets. You don't like when you see it says, "Oh, it's got to be thirteen millimeters deep." You've got your you've got your measuring tape out thirteen millimeters. <laughs> if it's twelve, eleven, or ten, it's not going to matter. So. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? All right, fair enough. If you put it two feet deep or, or, or something like that, fine. But it's it's trial and error. And I think a lot of trial and error, a lot of people say, oh, well, it comes with experience. Well, experience is only another name for making mistakes. You only get experience if you do things wrong because no one does it right all the time. So you are going to have these little mistakes where you do it wrong and you think, oh, do you know what? I'm not going to do it again. It's cost me a bit of money. It's cost me a bit of time or I've not got any carrots this season. Or something like that. But then there's other ways where you think, well, do you know what? I'm not going to do it like that because it's an absolute nightmare. It's going to take me forever. I'm going to do it how I did it last year because it worked for me. And it might be totally different to what people say. Because I've, I've got a friend who, uh, on my old allotment, she never, ever sows um, carrots like this on the packet. You know, it says in a line, really thin, lay 30 centimetres apart, all the rest of it. She gets the bed and she gets the pack of seeds she gets it in her hand and she just flicks it in the bed where she wants them to grow. And that bed, they just come up. The first ones that come up or the bigger ones, she, she picks out as the smaller carrots and it leaves room for the rest. So they're not in perfect little soldier lines, but it works for her. It's really quick. It takes her five minutes. And so, I, know, I know everyone's different, but I suspect that that growing space contains a lot more happiness than... Yeah. Um, the, the example I always give Rob is that my mom literally she's just bought her first house you know she's in her mid 60s and she's bought the first house that she ever owns yeah. and she's gone to town with this little garden and it really I struggle with it because I'm OCD yeah. and her garden is just organised chaos Yeah. but it works yeah and she'll love it she'll, she'll enjoy the thing is you've got to enjoy gardening it doesn't want to seem like a chore or you don't want to get to that stage or if you ever find yourself getting to that stage thinking oh god i've got to go and do whatever and sometimes we do but if it gets quite regular you're not doing it right for you you need to you need to you need to break it down you need to simplify it you need to change how you're doing stuff or rethink what you're doing um like People get a new allotment and they go, where do I start? Oh, my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. Break it down into chunks. Split it into eight. Cover seven of those with cardboard or whatever you can. Weed membrane. Leave it alone and start on that one little patch and start with the fastest thing you can. Start with weeding it and then putting some lettuces in or some beetroot or radish. Anything that's going to, within a few weeks, show you results. And you think, oh, I've done that. I've grown that. And then you're happy to get onto the next chunk. Whereas if you spend the first six months weeding it all, by the time you've got to the eighth bit, the first bit's neon nettles. So it's just thinking about it and, and trying to break it down for how much time you've got or we've got at the current time. And so many of the people that message us, you know, are I think will benefit from hearing that because so many of the questions that we get are relating to, you know, how can I get to the stage where I'm producing a veg box, for example, that I can sell or that I can yeah. share with friends and family. Yeah. And I think sometimes, do they call it um, perfection procrastination, that you're kind of, you're aiming to go from zero? Yeah, you want, you want it to look like uh, a National Trust walled garden. 
Yeah. And there's only you doing it. You work full time and you've got to go to the gym and you've got kids. Yep. It's realize that's never going to happen, yep. but do the best that you can. And, you know, again, I think something that a lot of people are now thinking about is the fact that actually, you know, this has got really real. Yeah. Because of the cost of living crisis, you know, because of the, the price of food. I mean, one of the things that I've said for a long time, and I, I'm slightly eating my words now, is that actually growing, you know, I've said for maybe a decade that growing food, you know, it's a fantastic hobby, but you've got to be really careful what you grow yeah. to save yourself the maximum amount of money. But yeah. I mean, that's still true, but less so now because of the price of food is going up so much. Yeah. Um, you know, have you found that in terms of, because you must get a lot of comments, messages, do you think that's something that's coming across with what people are talking to you about on social media? Um, I think, yeah, the, the, there is the price of food, but I think there's also this um, sort of like, not illusion, but there's the idea that you can be self-sufficient in your own back garden. Um, and I think you can, you can, you can make steps to go that way. Um quite easily but i think you've got to be very careful and very clever about it so i don't know you've got a, an average size garden a bigger size garden an allotment whatever if you're going to start growing things like great big cabbages and sprouts and all the rest of it you aren't necessarily going to be that self-sufficient especially if something say a sprout might be two three foot uh, sorry a, a big savoy cabbage might be two three foot square it's got to be in the ground for god knows how long and you can eat it once. So these big things that are in the ground for absolutely months or, or clusters staples and quite cheap in the shop still. Let's be honest, if you get a bag of, like I was down at Aldi the other day, when was it, Saturday? I think, was it 39p or 49p for a bag of onions? Well, I can't grow those onions, bog standard brown onions for 49p. And they take all that space up in the garden. So staples, you're better off buying potatoes and all that unless you've got loads of space or if you like them go for something different so grow the potatoes that are red inside or blue inside something that's a bit quirky and you think you'll have a go at don't grow your your Mary's piper that you can get for 149 you really want to do that because if not you're using all that space up for all that time that you could have been growing things like I don't know let's say strawberries that are three quid upon it or, or something like that, or, or something more expensive or something that you like. So you've got to be very clever about what you grow to save yourself the money. You could have a field full of potatoes and it might save you, I don't know, 100 quid. You have the same field full of strawberries and it could be a grand. We are absolutely delighted to tell you that the Food Grower podcast team have now launched the brilliant Food Grower Academy. We genuinely believe that growing your own food just got easier. Food Grower Academy is a complete set of resources for food growers of any size, from those that want to grow for them and their family, for local allotments or communities looking to feed themselves, to food growing businesses or small farms that want to feed the local area. It is a membership that provides in-depth, practical training and resources on all aspects of food growing, plus the community support you need to achieve your food growing goals. Have a look at what the membership includes, Find out whether it's for you and join us over at academy.foodgrower.co.uk. That's academy.foodgrower.co.uk. We are delighted to have partnered on the Food Grower podcast with React Tools. React Tools are the number one place for market gardening and growers tools in the UK. We have seen tools like the Jang Cedar, Paper Pot Transplanter 
and the Iconoclast Tilther across the world and been envious of growers with access to them. Well, now you can get your hands on all of these and much more. All shipped free from the UK on any order over £100. Make your food growing easier and more efficient with the best market gardening tools on the market. Plus, with the partnership with us, the Food Grower Academy, we're now giving 5% of all purchases back as tools to new community or not-for-profit growing projects. Head over now to reagtools.co.uk. That's R-E-A-G tools.co.uk. So let's say, for argument's sake, let's go into that. So let's say that someone's listening to this who've just moved into a new new build property yep. or they've just took on a new allotment yep. for argument's sake. Okay. If they want to start saving money, the mortgage has just gone up by two or 300 quid or whatever. Yep. They want to start saving money on food and, you know, reducing packaging, all the benefits that go with it, but let's just keep it really cynical and let's talk money, right? Yep. What would you suggest that they grow just purely to save a few quid? The first thing to save money or to get things, for, can't even speak, things for free i would go the, the main thing i tell people to do is go onto the different facebook groups in your area talk to other plot holders there are so many facebook groups where you can get free tools because someone's downsizing or someone's got loads of free seeds from magazines but they don't like those varieties well if you're new to growing or you want to save money you're not bothered if you're getting free seeds you're going to grow them if it's a tomato and you want to grow tomatoes you're going to grow it um same as talk to your other plot holders they'll they'll have so many different things for free when they're pruning their black currants. But you know what? I'll take those prunings off you. I'll stick them in the soil and I'll get free plants. So it, it's been, it's been um, economical with what you do, but it's sort of like finding out where it is. You don't need to go and buy all the books on gardening that cost you 20, 30 quid each. Um, you can go on the internet. You can find it all out and, or, Another thing, go for one of these magazines that you get every week because half the time you get a pack of seeds on it that's worth more than the magazine. So you're getting the knowledge and you're getting the free seeds. But if you don't want the seeds that are on the front, wait until the ones that you do want. So yeah, I think it's it sounds really silly, but grow what you like and grow what is going to cost you money. There are so many people that say, I don't want to grow potatoes. Don't grow them. But it says in that magazine or it's said on that TV program, it's the time to plant potatoes. We don't eat them, don't grow them. Yeah. So you, This is something, you know, that we see with urban herbs that, you know, when people are putting together a selection of plants. Yeah. And so often, um, you know, if people are choosing five or six pots, yeah. that, that's the limit. That's their herb garden for the year, five or six pots. Mm -hmm. And so often we hear the conversation of, you know, well, actually, you know, we should have rosemary. If you don't eat rosemary, why are you buying it? Don't don't buy it. It's like, <laughs> do, do you, yeah, do, do, do you like? It's like, well, I do like cocktails. Well, have lime mint instead, then. Oh, sorted. Yeah. And you know, years and years ago, just to echo what you were saying about you know growing expensive or relatively expensive things in small quantities. Yeah. I think this, listeners might be able to correct me, but this was back in 2012, 13. Apparently, there was a shortage of tarragon. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Globally, apparently, um, I believe that Israel and Spain are big tarragon producers. Yeah. And there was some kind of drought or delays with shipping. 
And suddenly I found myself at a little farmer's market in Birmingham city centre with a couple of trays of tarragon plants that were being purchased by the tray by chefs in local restaurants. Oh, to grow them for the food, for actually for the meals. Yeah, and I Googled it. And, you know, the, the price of, I think, a, a wholesale dried kilo of sage at the time was about £2.80 yeah. or something. Yeah. And a kilo of tarragon had shot up to about 68 quid for a kilo. Oh, God. And yeah. I think especially, I mean, that seemed like a quirky story back then. But now, with all the price increases... Something yeah. that we're becoming increasingly aware of is the fact that actually, you know, this is quite a serious situation for some people. Mm. And actually, I suppose growing your own can actually save you some money as well as all the mental well-being benefits and the fact that it gets you outside. It's a bit of free activity. And I love what you said there about almost considering the startup costs as well. Yeah that you don't actually need like to invest in brand new tools. You don't need to invest in, you know, a pack of seeds. And I mean, I am somebody that loves going mad on a seed website. I really do. But, you know, you don't actually need to, do you? No, no, you could be, you could be very careful about what you do and how you do it. Um, And I think a lot of it is like, how many times have you opened a, a pack of seeds and by the next year, you've still got half of it left. Because you don't, you don't use it all. You don't grow it all. So if you've got friends or someone on the allotment or, or whatever, just swap them. I've done it before. I've done it with my mate. I've said, look, I'm going to buy X, Y, and Z. I'll grow these. So in plug plants, I don't know, you've got 20 of these. Well, I only want 10. So you have 10 of them and I'll have some of whatever you're growing. So it's almost like that, uh, not bartering, but like a swapping system. Because if, if I'm growing, if I want to grow it all, I know what I'm like. I'll, if I want 10, I will grow. I will put 20 in because I'm paranoid that I'm not going to get 10 out of it or like the bugs or the snails or the birds or the dogs are going to eat one of them. <laughs> um, and then I end up with 20 and twenty of them. And I'm thinking, I've made the mistake before of making room and putting them all in and they don't perform because you planted them too close together or, or, or something like that. So now I'll keep what I want, but I give the rest away. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a nice thing to do, but it's also, you do get that back. Like you might, I gave some smart plants, like little nine centimeter smart plants to a friend. And then when I moaned in the autumn that my pear tree, the birds had eaten all the pears, the next thing I know, she comes up with a crate full of pears for me. Well, these are all spare. You gave me the smart plants. So it's almost like what goes around comes around, isn't it, in gardening? And you de- you, like you say, you don't need to go and buy loads and loads of stuff. And some of the garden centres now, I go in and I just think, have you priced those wrong? Because the, yeah. the price on some things are absolutely, I know things are going up, but it's absolutely astronomical. Yeah. So yeah. we've got to be really careful um, and quite um, sensitive to what we're saying, I think, especially when you're informing other people of what they can do or how you do it or how you recommend they do it. Because mm. you could be recommending things that cost a fortune and don't necessarily work. You know something, I think that's something that we're really conscious of, you know, in the socials that like we're putting out there. Yeah. Because I had a conversation with someone recently who, by her own admission, you know, was struggling financially. Um, you know, she was genuinely kind of like looking for a job while juggling childcare. Mm-hmm. And like the solace that she found was actually in growing things. 
Yeah. And she messaged um, Urban Herbs very sort of nervously, as a lot of people are when they're first starting their journey. Yeah. And she said that she'd posted something and because she'd used like the wrong kind of compost or uh, different plastic pots, she said that she'd got a load of negative comments. Yeah. And she just really, really honestly turned around to me and said, look, you know, the alternatives that people are suggesting. She said, I'm really embarrassed to say, I just can't afford. Yeah. I genuinely can't afford it. It's either I just, I can't do it. Yeah. And I think that's so, so amazing what you've just said, that actually we need to all think about that just a little bit. Yeah. And you can say, I'll say, I'll say what I do. I'll say how I do it, but I try and think and we'll give alternatives. Or, yeah. do, do you know, because you, you, you don't have to do things in a prescribed way all the time. There are always alternatives. It's like you think when people say about... Um, compost and all the rest of it now don't get me wrong i've just bought a pallet full um, of compost um, because i need it and where my garden is i can't get a dumpy truck to the garden so i have to buy it in plastic bags but i reuse those i use them for leaf mold i make my own leaf mold with it but going back to the fact of the compost well my granddad never bought compost half the time he used to just dig a bit of garden soil up he'd sieve it he'd mix it with a bit of sand and he'd sow his seeds into that there wasn't potting compost then there wasn't all this different type of stuff so it's almost like we've we've created a monster in some ways um it's like it's like bottled water well water's fine and drinkable from the tap but you'll spend two quid on a bottle for it if you've got a garden and you, you don't necessarily need as much as you think yeah, and I think that's just that's so interesting, Rob. Rob, there's so much that we could talk about here, but <laughs> but one of the things that I just wanted to touch on really quickly was obviously, you know, I've mentioned that your account is like is I've personally found it super inspiring. Like you know, after I've done a day's work, it's quite yeah. an achievement if I go onto Instagram and look at somebody doing anything growing related, and <laughs> if, if I have any enthusiasm left for it, it's quite an achievement. Um, so thank you for sharing what you do. I, I, I'm always curious about this. Do you think that the online and, in fact, just the gardening community in general has changed over the last kind of like five, six years? Um, I do. I think some ways for the good, some ways for the bad. I think it's become a lot more uh, Instagrammable and it's got to be pictures of perfect, this perfect, that perfect, the other, which... I really don't like and like you say if you look at my account you'll see the mistakes you'll see the broccoli that's been ravaged by the birds you'll see all the things that have gone wrong and it's quite nice i do get comments when i when i put things on like that saying it's nice of you to show the mistakes because that's happened to me it's it's almost like that social media everything's perfect nobody looks at the um behind the scenes almost it's like, the, you know, these really famous A-listers where, oh, their life looks absolutely amazing. It's this, that, it's the other. It's not like that. That's only what they're choosing to show you. And it's the same with a lot of things on um, social media and with gardening. Some things are amazing. Some things are brilliant. But in some ways, there's all the failures behind it. Mm. And I think that's what people need to, to show more because I don't think it's something to be embarrassed of when I've grown something and it's gone wrong or it's been eaten or I forgot to water it and it's died, that's just gardening. 
and that's part of it. I think that needs to be shown more, and that can almost be more inspirational to someone who's starting off than a picture of a perfect carrot. Yeah, mate, I think it's a balance, isn't it, between yeah. almost like providing that inspiration, yeah, but then also kind of going the path, the road yeah, to that real, inspiration. Real world. Yeah, yeah it's, it can it's, be. It's, it's real world, and, and a lot of the time, fine, people like growing, but half the things that people find the most confusing is if something goes wrong or if they do get a disease or a pest, because when they're new, they don't necessarily know what it is, yeah. how it's come about, or how to get rid of it. So you, yep. by showing them that carrot that's got those funny little brown holes in it and explaining that I can't believe I've got carrot fly, suddenly someone comes back and goes, oh, my God, my carrots have followed that as well. I didn't know what it was. Now I know I need to cover them in fleece. Yep. So it, it, by showing the real side of gardening rather than that perfect bunch of carrots that have all been washed and scrubbed beautifully, don't get me wrong, that's lovely. And I like doing that. I enjoy showing photos of really beautiful stuff that you've grown or what you've made from it but i think you've got to show the, the the ugly side of it as well because that's where people learn from as well and i think what we've kind of accidentally touched on there is that almost we live in a generation or an era where we've got all the knowledge that you could possibly want at your fingertips if you've got a smartphone at your fingertips yeah. but i think what's coming across like quite strongly in a way is that sometimes you've got all the knowledge there but it's difficult to know what question to ask to get that knowledge. Yeah, the answer's there, but I don't know what to ask to actually get to it. And, you know, the example that I always give is a few years ago. Um, it was a sort of damp, damp spring, and we had a bit of an issue with little fungus gnats. Mm -hmm. And there was a part of me that, you know, it was quite early on, and I was quite close to panicking because I was thinking, what do I do, you know? Yeah. And... I phoned an older grower and I said to him, you know, what, what, what do you do? He, he's from, he's from your part of the world, you know, he's sort of a um, very down to earth chap. <laughs> and he, he sort of said, right. He said, send me a few pictures. And I did. And he said, look, he said, you've got nothing to worry about. He said, just open the doors, open the vents, ease off watering. Give me a call in two or three days time. Yeah. And you know what? He was right. Yeah. And yet I kind of feel like, you know, but for that little bit of a calming call, a bit of clarification, let's say if I'd been kind of like two or three years earlier in my journey, maybe I'd have panicked. Maybe I would have took drastic action. Yeah. Which was, you know, disproportionate. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like to think that probably people looking at what you put on social media each day, you know, probably that they get the same sort of result from that, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Rob, I'm conscious of your time and we've got to get to the most important part of this podcast, which oh, I, I warned you it was coming. <laughs> and uh, we call this the, the quick fire question round. Yeah. And um, we haven't talked about this before, and have we? So it's completely honest yeah. and unscripted. So are you ready, Rob? Are you, have you braced yourself? Go on. <laughs> right. Without any further ado, what is your favourite veg? Onions. Really? Yeah. Do you know you, some? You name a meal, just about any meal that you don't use an onion in, from a curry to a bolognese to a cheese and onion sandwich to making gravy to making a pie to making a casserole. You name 
virtually any meal without a salad, a sandwich, a wrap. Do you know that might be the first time on quick fire questions that anybody said onion? And yet I'm kind of nodding my head now and I'm going, <laughs> he's right. He's right. But it's true, isn't it? And I don't just mean like yeah. your bog standard cooking brown onions. I mean the ones like you get the you know the really nice flat ones that you get in balsamic vinegar from the Italian deli or yeah. the nice little round spring onions or the pink fleshed really sweet ones and all the different types and the different shallots you can get and oh they're amazing. Well I'm actually a bit feeling enthusiastic about onions now. So um <laughs> right, what is your favorite tool in the garden or at the allotment? Um oh crikey I would say um, my secretaries, only because I'd, in fact, <laughs> there they are, <laughs> at hand, <laughs> um, just because I use them for everything, and I'm all right, fair enough, I use them for things I shouldn't do, uh, like cutting bits of string and all the rest of it, but they're always in my pocket. Those and the knife. They are literally, when I'm in the garden, they're in my pocket. Secretaries and the knife, always used. And I think actually... Um, one of the things that I always say to people is that I don't know if you find this. Do you find people are a bit nervous about cutting things? That you know the the importance of pruning kind of thing is something that you, you, people are a bit nervous. They've grown it, they love it, they don't want to hurt it. Yeah, don't want to cut it back. And it's funny because my you know, my wife she she works with us here at Urban Herbs and she loves a bit of destructive gardening. You know, <laughs> you know pruning back the herbs or. Yeah. you know taking more drastic action she absolutely loves it yeah but it's like when you i don't know like say the chive plants so two two well, twice a year i'll probably just chop them back to a couple of centimeters just because i want the new growth yep but other people leave them and they go all floppy don't they like a big wig yeah and it's so counterintuitive yeah. I, mean, I suppose that links nicely to the next question really which is what is your favorite growing hack and you're only allowed one oh I would say probably when I'm growing peas, a lot of people, I, I grow things um, in terracotta seed pans. So if you imagine like a, a round pot, yay big, a couple of couple of inches deep. And instead of growing them in peas, instead of growing them in individual pots or individual modules or root trainers, anything like that, I'll sow them really thickly in a, in a seed pan and they come up looking like uh, pea shoots. And then once they're about five, six, seven centimetres tall, I shake all the soil off them and it almost gives you bare root uh, little peas. You can sow so many more in a small space. It works for beans as well. It's so easy. And I've had loads of people say to me, oh, you shouldn't disturb peas and beans. It can harm their growth, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's fine. You grow out you want. I've been doing this for 15 years and it's never failed me. So I'll carry on doing it. And I think I'm going to try it now as well, to be fair. Cause... It's really easy. It, you need no space at all. Do you know, like, if, if, you, if you were growing one, like, so many people will put one or two peas or beans in an in a actual nine-centimetre pot. And I just think you're using so much space and so much compost and, and so much effort to do all that. You can just sprinkle them in. You can do it all in five. You can sew a full packet in five minutes. I think so many people listening to this are going to be trying this come the spring. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's really, really easy. Really easy. I love that. It's... This is the question, Rob, that that kind of causes a little, little bit of controversy in recent weeks. Yeah. Is there a vegetable that you hate but everyone else loves? Uh, no, I don't think there is. There isn't one? Uh, no. I grow 
Uh, I've grown God, most things, and yeah, I don't think there's anything that I avoid. I don't. I don't necessarily. Um, I like celery, but I find it too finicky to grow. Uh, it yeah. always ends up being a bit more stringy, and I use it for soups and stocks. So I grow celeriac instead because I can still use the leaves for stock, but I get the nice root that you can cook like a steak. So I don't mm. necessarily grow celery as much, uh, but not that I don't like it, no. Because in recent weeks, um, radishes have been getting a, lo- a little bit of... Um... Oh, another radish. Yeah, you see, I feel like I should use it more. But honestly, I'd, I'd say eight out of ten answers to that question have been radish. Really? What, people not liking them? Yeah, yeah. I suppose that can be, if you don't water them enough, they can go woody or they can go really spicy mm. um, or they can bolt. But if I suppose if they bolt, leave them because the little seed pod uh, that's created, you can actually eat that. And that's quite nice in a salad. I mean, we're, we're thinking of starting a campaign of, uh, you know, promoting radishes, you know, and uh, <laughs> bringing them back because they're getting so much hate on this podcast and we... But if you want something to quick to grow just about anywhere, it's a radish. They'll grow. There's there's one. There's an old French variety called I can't. I don't even know what it's called. I can't. I don't speak French. I'm from Yorkshire. Uh, but it literally translates as 18 days. So in the season, you can sow it and harvest it within 18 days. That's it. Wow. That's incredible. So they're just so quick. You can eat the leaves on them in in salads and stuff. And they're, they're brilliant for, you can use them as marker plants as well. So if I'm, say, growing, I don't know, carrots or, or whatever, the seeds take a lot longer to germinate. And if you've not put a, a marker in or you're, you're not sure where things are, I'll sow the radish next to it because the radish will be out before the carrots come up. The same as if you're growing cabbages or anything slower, get radish down the middle. You get two crops from the same bed. Nice. So we're going to bring back radish, basically. Yeah, and get the what about the big ones, the moolies and all the rest of it, the winter radishes, the great big giant ones that are pink or white, or there's the Spanish black ones that look like black gnarly uh, tennis balls, and then when you cut them open, there's like snow white in the middle. All those types are brilliant for cooking. A radish isn't just something that you nibble in a salad; they literally get added to coleslaws or casseroles use them like a turnip or a swede because the heat when you cook them disappears so they just become like a vegetable you wouldn't notice it's in a soup or in a casserole or anything like that so treat it as a vegetable not as a salad ingredient you know we could totally add a regular spot in this podcast you know rob's reasons to grow radish i think that (laughs) the alliteration failed slightly halfway through that but never mind um (laughs) the last question i've got for you and this is the important one yeah as you gaze out over your food growing empire, do you prefer a morning coffee yeah. afternoon tea yeah. or an afternoon slash evening beer or wine? I think I both. Why not? <laughs> no, I do love, I love going out in the garden in the morning, cup of coffee, just mm. checking everything over, making sure everything's all right, opening the greenhouse as you do, having a potter, uh, and then coming back in. But there's nothing better than you've been in the garden all day, you're absolutely knackered, and you think, you know what, I'm going to go and get a beer. And that that hiss as you open a bottle of beer or a can, or the the glug, glug, glug as you pour a glass of wine, and you just sit there thinking, oh, do you know what, lovely weather, I've just done that, 
I'll finish this and then I'll go and pick something. We'll take it inside. We'll cook it. And I did that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And I think talking of perfect, I think that's the perfect place to to leave this chat. Um, Rob, thank you so much for your time this morning. It really is appreciated. I know that people will really have enjoyed listening to that and they'll be thinking of different ways to grow to grow peas. Um, cheap. And go on to radishes. And go on to radishes. We're <laughs> going to have you back to talk on this, mate, because uh, we, we need to uh, start a movement on this. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you free by the Food Grower Academy. If you want to make your food growing easier, head over to academy.foodgrower.co.uk.